Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? Higher Learning is on. It is I, Van Lathan Jr. And it's me, Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Rachel Lynn Lindsay. You're, uh, you're back at home. Right there. Back at home. I know. The spot changes all the time, but so is yours lately, too. Yeah, baby. I'm in Chicago, man. Let me tell you something about Chicago. Chicago. You feeling it? I like Chicago, man. I could tell. I like, I like, I'm not gonna lie. I like Chicago, man. Chicago, I was feeling, I was feeling like, you know, sometimes I feel like a, like a little bear in the big city, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm waiting around. I feel like, you know what I feel like? <gasps> I feel like one of my best friends. You know who one of my best friends of television is, of, of movies are? Who? Paddington Bear. I love him. <laughs> Paddington. Did you put on the, the, he wears the coat and the hat, right? He wears a little coat and the hat. Yeah, sometimes okay. I feel like Paddington, you know? <laughs> I walk around, I'm like this. I'm like, hey, oh. Look, because I haven't really been out here that much. I haven't been to Chicago maybe one time before. What's the weather like? It's cold. <laughs> okay. Okay. It usually doesn't it was... start warming up till May, into May. It, that's that's so wild. You winter people, shout out to y'all. I could never live in a place it's where tough. it's snowing in April. Like I'm not April, nigga. Like, it's it's tough. April. It's April. April. O'Neal. It's April. <laughs> like I can't like, like I can't live y'all, I get it. I get it. Oh, it's February. We fucked up. Oh, it's January. We down. We hurling around the furnace for heat. April? April? It's tough. Nah, April, we gotta be in these streets. It's April, tough. We gotta be in these streets. But there there aren't people who appreciate the weather more than people who live in colder climates. I don't want to hear when it that. as soon as it's above freezing, they are so they are so appreciative of the outdoors and the weather. Unlike us out here in Cali, we take it for granted because we always have good weather. See, I don't I I by the way, not only do I not like that, I don't like the thought. You know what I mean? That's like the thought of what? A, I don't like the idea of that. The idea of that irks me like <laughs> there used to be a kid that used to come over and eat with us sometimes right and his you know sometimes it'd be like whatever and my my, my parents would be like ah you know little so-and-so he appreciates what we putting on the table right now because he don't get that every night i'd be like so what you want me to be hungry so i can you want me Nobody's to be hungry so i can appreciate gotta- some succotash no I it's, I it's supposed to be succotash on the table i'm sorry for him and I'm uh, I know that it's I'm, I'm glad that he's getting it. I'll bring him succotash every day. He can have half of mine, but I don't want him to. Oh, like he's not. Nah, nah, it's the sun, the sun, S U N, walking Bozeman with my tank top out, my belly flapping around flagrantly in the breeze. You know what I mean? My A cups chilling. That's the life. That's the life, Rach. That's the Damn. life. <laughs> Nobody's life, telling Rich. you you got to feel sorry for the folks in Chicago or in other winter climates that don't have That's that all the time. Said. It's just, mm-hmm. no, it's just pointing out the fact that they appreciate they see things in a way that we necessarily don't because we're not forced to. I know I used to live in Milwaukee for three years. I used to be one of them. Yeah, they can't see shit because their eyes are frozen cold. <laughs> so, I used to walk to school in that weather. Really? Negative, whatever, with the same wind that's blowing out of from Lake Michigan through Chicago, blows up through Milwaukee. You just get used mm. to it after a while. It is, it is, it does keep you on your toes though, because we out there shooting, you know. 
and my ears are all I started to get these this pain in my ears that runs down the back of my neck from the cold. Like it starts to feel like it, 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 the cold. I don't, I don't agree know. with it. I'm, I don't know I'm, that. I'm from Louisiana and I went straight to California. But I tell you what, despite the cold, I'm still loving Chicago. It's amazing. I love it. This is Al Capone City, baby. Okay. It's Alphonse Capone. <laughs> it's a fun Alphonse city. Capone. Are you are you a fan of mafia stuff? No. You don't care? No. I haven't seen you could name the top three mafia movies and I probably haven't seen them. Okay, so these are the top three mafia movies. And let's see if you've seen them. The top three mafia movies of all time are The Godfather, The Godfather 2, and Goodfellas. How many of those have you seen? Okay, I was kind of bored through Goodfellas, so I didn't even finish it. You were bored in Goodfellas. I honestly think I was distracted. I was doing something else. You're (laughs) a bad fella is what you are. You were bored in in Goodfellas? I must have been doing something else because I was was just like, I'm not getting this. And I don't want to, I can't remember how it ends, so that's why I don't think I finished it. I did watch The Godfather. Right. You I didn't watch. Goodfellas no, wait. Everybody they, dies in everybody Goodfellas. In everybody dies. Dies, right? No. No? Nah, okay. Put, wrong put, movie. They put, <laughs> put everybody in jail. Well. Oh, okay. I definitely did finish it. Wow. I definitely finished it. Godfather. Yeah. I watched it. But do you also know how. <laughs> but here's. In my defense. And people who aren't moviegoers. Oh, no defense. A lot of people. Get, will get this. Kalika can't fucking stand it. But I think also I, I I caught it too late. There's something about being able to appreciate a movie in the right time period. Now right. it's too late for me. The moment right. has passed. It's not going to move me the same way it did you when you first saw it. Yeah, I don't know about that excuse. But but you, yeah. the, the thing is, they don't. You don't need. You don't like it. So what? You don't like it. It's one of the greatest three films ever made. You don't it's, like um, it. Who cares? What's the um, the Miami one? Which one? Which one's the Miami one? What are you talking about? Like, say hello to my little friend. Which one is that? That's Scarface. Okay. Is and that that's not, not Mafia? No, those are drug dealers, but it's oh. organized crime. Okay. okay. It's organized crime because it's Tony, it's Tony Matana. Hey, I've seen that. I remember hey. that one. Hey, I only got two things in life my boss, my word. Okay. <laughs> for no one. We'll go back on those for no one. You want to go with it? That's cool. You want to give it? Make a move. I I never liked that piece of shit. I never trust that piece of shit. For I'm all sorry, I know, I he had my friend Angel killed. But that's okay. He's gone. I'm here. Okay? <laughs> Tony Montana, baby. Tony Montana. I feel like you practice that. Like, I feel uh, like you... Another Quailu should love me tomorrow. <laughs> another Quailu. Evie. Okay. I'm kidding. LV, I get it. We didn't ask for your favorite scenes from the movie. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes, Scarface. That's the one I've seen. People hate my expressions. They hate when I sing, which is. No, they I'm, don't. People like that. I'm going to be honest with you. I was a little bit shocked and appalled at the uh, at the uh, the reaction to the Red Table Talk song, which I feel like is one of my best songs that I've ever made up. You know, this is what this is the problem. Table top, you hit a bop with Melbag, and now you think that you everything you do top. is a hit. That's the problem. You're one hit wonder. It's just Melbag song. That doesn't mean that you need to continue. See, they, <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember it sounded like that. That's awful. <laughs> Red Table Talk. Donnie, let's cut this part out. 
No. <laughs> see? I they don't want sing, it either. Man. I just want to sing. What does Donnie know? Donnie, like Donnie does. I, I'm I'm one of the world's best impromptu song makers. One of the world's best. I I, I got one hit today, wonder. Though. I saw this. Whatever. I saw this. Uh, I saw this dog, and he reminded me of Bozeman. Oh yeah, sad. that happens to me when I'm ho- away from home too. I get it. Aww. I saw this dog. He's like, I was like, hey ma'am. I, I literally. This is how you know I'm into dad years, right? Number one, making up songs and trying to embarrass people. That total dad stuff. And then this woman is walking her dog down the street, and the dog looks just like Bozeman. I go, hey, you want to see something? <laughs> I got. Let me show you something. And she goes, oh okay. And I was showing her pictures of Bozeman on my phone. And she, <laughs> and, and I do. She's it like, I get it. And she's like, she looks just like him. I'm like, yeah. I, I'm gonna be honest with you. I I swear to you, I think this dog and Bozeman have the same parents. But isn't Bozeman a full breed? Yeah, Bozeman is a burner. Dude. Okay, so was is this not a full breed as well? But it's it's different. Let me tell you why. Bozeman is unique looking. This litter, the puppies that we get from this these two parents, mm-hmm. they look the same. Bozeman is unique looking even for Bernadoodle. Um, I'm telling you, they're brother and sister. Did you ask her where she got him from? Nah, I didn't have time. She's a white woman. So one more question and I'm in jail. Yeah, One more question. She calls the cops. Was the sun out? Yeah, sun was out. You had a a couple more questions than me. You had a couple more. On Crowded Street, you had a couple more. She's a very nice lady, but I was one false move away from... You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm very afraid, Your Honor. He asked me. He asked me. He asked me. He, to, he said he wanted to show me his dog. Is that some kind of rap saying? Oh my god! <laughs> it actually, so up there. Yeah, come here, come here, girl. Let me show you my dog. <laughs> Shit, nigga, Tupac. Let me show you my dog. And um, this is so unfair. That lady was lovely. Lovely. Plus, Chicago ladies, they don't give a fuck. Get the fuck out of the way. Ah. <laughs> I'm okay. walking here. Enough impressions. Um, <laughs> uh, we have some very important stuff to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our friends over at Black Lives Matter are up against it. Yeah. The question is, are they our friends? <laughs> I think, yeah. Uh, that's what an article in New York Mag is speculated that they aren't. Let's be honest with you. Black Lives Matter were just called grifters. That's the insinuation that Sean Campbell made against Black Lives Matter. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to hear from one of the people Mm. named in the article on the other side of this break. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do, too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, 
V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, home purchased by Black Lives Matter Foundation scrutinized. An investigative report by the New York Magazine's Intelligentsia revealed that the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation purchased a $6 million, 6,500 square foot home. Is that a lot of square feet? 6,500? That's a lot? Yes, yes. What's a a good square feet? It depends where you live, but in California... Was this in Los 30. Angeles? Doesn't matter. No, I don't know. California, yeah. that's huge, right? People, people, people are just trying to get above two thousand. Yeah, yeah, two thousand. The year two thousand. Y two K. The bug was going to take down the whole society. Didn't happen. Um, uh, and so it's got at least a half dozen bedrooms and bathrooms and a bungalow. This bungalow. It's called the Social Justice. It's a mansion, bungalow. you guys. It's a mansion. So a, a mansion, whatever. Uh, the home is dubbed at the campus and was purchased, as the intelligentsia reported. In October 2020, with money that had been donated to the Black Lives Matter Global Network Fund, this article is far-reaching in its insinuations and its allegations. It insinuates not only that this house was bought by funds with Black Lives Matter, which we know is probably you know where the funds came from, um, but that it is not being used in the spirit in which it is supposed to be used. Okay, this house is supposedly supposed to be used. It's a campus house uh, for the Black Joy Creators Fellowship. Um, and the fellowship provides recording resources and dedicated space for Black creatives to launch content uh, online and in real life, focused on abolition, healing justice, urban agriculture, and food justice, pop culture, activism, and politics, as well as providing housing uh, for people who might be unsafe in the places that they are. So. This is supposed to be a place like a Black Lives Matter house where you can go, studio, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, put, put down your creative shit. But also, if you're a Black Lives Matter, I guess St. Louis, Black Lives Matter, Miami, and wherever you're saying is unsafe, this place is supposed right. to be a refuge for you. Um, Correct. Uh, some of the allegations here, you read it, Rachel. What are some of the things that they are saying is wrong with the purpose or purpose purchase of this home? Well, for one thing, they're saying that the funds were used from the – that were – given after 2020 and George Floyd, uh, they use those funds to pay for this. They're also saying that those, the house has not been reported. The house was purchased in October, 2020. It was not reported to the IRS and has yet to be reported to the IRS. Um, uh, BLM claims that they're, they're doing it in May, 2022. Um, what is another thing? So the, the fellowship that you just mentioned, they're saying that it's supposed to be used towards the fellowship. For people to create and cultivate content and such. Well, the fellowship was just announced in April of 2022. The house was purchased in October 2020. So for about 17 months, they have not been using this house for the purpose that it was purchased for. So that's another allegation. Um, They're also alleging that some of the former co-founders and other leaders in the organization are using the perch, uh, using the house to stay in. They're using it for YouTube videos that have nothing to do with advancing the mission of BLM. 
And um, they're saying also that they're if they're using this for BLM and it's supposed to be for security, then why are you using this house in public and putting it out there on social media if this is supposed to be a safe house for certain leaders of BLM? That's just a They're also, uh, according to the article, this is according to uh, what's in the New York Mag, they plot out direct ties between Black Lives Matter uh, founder, co-founder, Patrice Cullors, and her family. Apparently, yeah. there's some talk that her brother was in charge of security around the house and in other properties owned by Patrice Cullors, and that her mom was in some way granted a cleaning contract. So it seems as if the the insinuation here, the allegation here is that this home is not what it seems, that this home is partially a play toy or plaything that has been paid for by the by the people who have donated money to the Black Lives Matter uh, Global Network Foundation. Now, uh, we should say that after George Floyd's death, donations exploded. Correct. Black Lives Matter, I think they were able to raise $60 million, or was it $90 million? I think $90 million. Yeah, yeah, I think there's $60 million left. I think it was $90 million that they that they had on hand with a gigantic amount of it coming after George Floyd's death. So I, mm-hmm. I guess the reason why this is uh, so com- compelling to people is because it seems as if money that was raised on the back of George Floyd's uh, death, uh, according to this article, is not being used in the way that a lot of people would say uh, is beneficiary to the movement. All right. Now, the question that I have, the central question that I have that I'm going to ask you, and we're going to talk to Alicia Garza, who's named one of the founders of Black Lives Matter, who is named in this article. They talks about a conversation that she had with Patrice and the other founders of Black Lives Matter at the home itself, somehow connecting Alicia to this and she's going to speak on her own behalf and nobody can do it better uh in a little while we've had alicia garza on the show before i will ask you this rachel having read this article some of the allegations allegations also in the article that upon hearing about this this piece of uh news coming out that it sent black lives matters text chains into a frenzy where they were asking if they could kill the story, where they were having conversations, strategy conversations on the best way to present themselves in front of the story, seeming to indicate that they thought that the the article itself was going to uh, um, reveal something uh, untoward, that they were mm-hmm. like, we have to get out in front of this, we have to do this, we have to do that. You've read you read the whole thing. Do you believe that there's any shadiness going on over there? I do. And that's really hard for me to say. I don't say that lightly. I don't say that because I've read one article and I'm just going to believe everything that's written in that article. I'm doing it because it's a culmination of things. And honestly, it actually has nothing to do with Patrice Cullors and her purchasing those homes before. We've talked about that on the podcast. That's not it. She has income outside of BLM. Since this time, she has a, 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 a development deal. She's written books. She does speaking engagements. I am pretty sure that she has accumulated the money to purchase those houses if necessary. That's It has nothing to do with it. It has to do with there being internal emails dating back to 2016, where you have activists voicing concerns about these donations that are given to this particular organization. It has to do with in fall 2020 that City chapters have uh, were issuing public statements talking about the network. It has to do with the fact that of families of some of these 
um, black victims who have suffered violence at the hands of the police force have complained about the way that the organization has dished out its money. It has to do with other chapters who've complained about not getting to see the benefits from all of this money, especially when all this money is being reported. And we have no idea of knowing how much exactly is true per se, but when all this money is being donated and you have all these local chapters who are trying to who are have their boots on the ground and are trying to implement the work on a local level who are saying that that money's not trickling down, it raises an eyebrow. Your antennas are up. Now, when you see that a house was purchased for over $6 million, I understand wanting to have a safe haven for leaders who are constantly, I am sure, threatened on a daily basis. I understand in wanting to have a campus, a house where you can do the work in an organized way. But a $6 million mansion in California just doesn't seem to add up. That's If it is 60-something million, that's 10% of the money. Why did you need to spend that much money on it? Fine, if, if if that was it and that was their choice, okay. But then you couple with it that the house was purchased for a particular reason. It wasn't reported to the IRS. So it seems like you're trying to hide the fact that you purchased this $6 million house. And then you're not using it for its actual intent. That according to the way this article is, and 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 from my understanding, there isn't much content out there to show that it is actually being used in that way. It just seems like there are too many things when you couple it with the timeline, when you talk about this fellowship that was supposed to be out there that wasn't even announced until April 1st of 2022, when you know this article was already in the works based on these internal emails, there was a date mentioned of March 30th of uh, March 30, 2022. It just seems to be too many things where I have to say something's not right. Hmm. And this hmm. isn't taking away from the intent and the passion of the people behind this, but something's not right with the way that the money is being dispersed. Sorry. Uh, That's not easy to say. Yeah. So I disagree. Well, okay. kind of. Okay. Tell you why. Something not being right can indicate a lot of things to me. The question okay. is to me intent. Optically, things are not being handled uh, with certain situations over there as they should be. Optically, it could look bad. Optically, it could. Optically, it does. When I was doing like when I was doing research for this, um, I looked up whether or not the NAACP owns any land, mm-hmm. like whether or not these other organizations own any land, they have any assets, and I uncovered an article from the Washington Post in 1982. Uh, that said the NAACP was looking to relocate because it faced 100% rent increases for the office space uh, that it had had in Manhattan for like a long time. The They were playing dirty with the NAACP. So okay. I just, and that article struck me because I was thinking it would be fantastic if the NAACP was well-funded enough to have a place, to have things to where no one could tell them what they could do with whatever, that they weren't paying rent with anyone, that they had mm-hmm. some something where they could go or some place that they could go. I have no problem with Black Lives Matter buying a home. I absolutely I don't do not. I don't have any problem with them buying a home. I don't have any, I don't have any problem with, uh, I don't have any problem with a large degree of it. I would say what I will say is if the question is, is there something wrong over there? The answer is not intentionally, but there probably 
optically very unorganized and babies in what it is that they're doing. Okay, so if if we're talking about the fact that they that the money is accounted for, because not even this New York New York Magazine article, this New York Magazine article doesn't allege that the money's not accounted for. It, they, that they were slow to account for it. The, the New York Magazine article says that they had $90 million. They mm-hmm. spent $21 million on grants that they gave out. They didn't really get into the ins, the ins and outs of where the money for the grants went. After the $21 million that they have on grants, there was another $8 million that they spent, uh, and the $8 million was partly this home, all right, mm-hmm. and then other operating costs and overhead that they had. So according to even this magazine, this this article, as I understand it, the ninety million dollars is unaccounted for if it's not being spent correctly, or if there is not a mechanism by which it is being spent on the things that we think that it should be spent for. Meaning, the the, the no one knows really which organizations or which chapters of Black Lives Matter are official arms of this actual fund, mm-hmm. and which ones are just using the Black Lives Matter name because it's Black Lives Matter is both a slogan. And also an organization. I feel like those things need to be defined. I also feel like that Black Lives Matter is incumbent upon them as an organization to make sure that they are in lockstep with the victims of these shootings by the police and in other situations to quell any type of appearance of impropriety or appearance of not being supportive between them. And they've probably done a bad job with this. It is a bridge too far for me to believe that all of them people came around and they steal it. I, like, That's it, not it, what I said, though. I, I didn't say that. I didn't. I, okay. I didn't say that you were. But but is it? But it is a. It is a bridge too far for me to believe. I don't believe that. Now, uh, people want to act like if people if I'm naive for that, it's true. I don't believe that, and it would take significantly more evidence than what was <laughs> pointed out uh, in this article for me to believe it. You know, um, yeah. I don't have any contacts with anyone who's currently at Black Lives Matter now. Like, I don't there's no one I could call and get on the phone and and and, and talk to them. There's not. I just like this. This will be a hell of a thing. And I'm not ready to go there. But I understand. I do understand, though, why it's important to make them look like they're frauds. And, sure. I, and I think the, the reason why it was uh, important, it's important to make them look like they're frauds is probably for the same reason. It was important to make uh, uh, Jesse Jackson look like he was a fraud for many years, or it was important to make Dr. King look like he was this womanizer. And, and that doesn't mean that some of those things didn't have a tenor of truth to them. But the optics of it, it's the reason why you wanted to paint someone in this light and sort of reduce them down to that is to depower them. Sure. And so I would have to see sure. a lot more for me to go with that. Because what I'm seeing yeah. with the memes, including the Marcel, the, like Marcelo's Wiley straight up called them frauds. But Marcellus you know I mean? Wiley says a lot of questionable shit sometimes. Like right. he's like that actually doesn't shock me. And I want to be clear that I'm not saying I think they are thieves. I'm saying the stuff that I'm seeing all put together makes me say, "Hmm." Now, I I I on record saying I don't think that it's their intent. That's not what I think. I don't think that they don't have the heart or the passion to do the things they want to do. It's just that and this is where it's like you do want to hear from them because right at this point we have this article we have everyone having an opinion about it except for the people who are actually being accused of it so like that's where it's tough too because 
There's only certain things that you can put together to form an opinion. And you also need to hear the other side of it. But I do think that for based on what I'm seeing, it doesn't seem like the money is being dispersed in the right way. It doesn't, something seems off. Something seems off. What's I don't off, like though? to say, Would you say I don't, that. I don't. I don't the, six, I the, six, hey. the six million dollar, the six million dollar house in California to me. I, I I said it just a second ago. I get mm-hmm. the idea of a campus and the structure and having a centralized place, but the right. six million dollar mansion seems a bit excessive. And it's not. See? Who am I to tell people how to spend their money? But it's like you could buy a a building maybe or something, maybe not in California, but it's just $6 million for the house just seems like a lot, especially when at the moment, because we haven't heard the other side really, it doesn't seem like in the last 17 months it was being used for the purpose that it was said it was being bought for. So tell me, so tell me, tell me, tell me I'm wrong. I want to be wrong. So yeah, yeah, I, we, we need to hear more from Black Lives Matter and the current people. P- Patrice Cullors came out and she said that uh, yesterday's article in New York Magazine is a despicable abuse of a platform that's intended to provide truthful information to the public. Journalism is supposed to mitigate harm and inform our communities. The fact that a reputable publication would allow a reporter with a proven and very public bias against me and other black leaders to write a piece filled with misinformation, innuendo, and incendiary opinions is disheartening and unacceptable. The reason why it wasn't announced prior is not as nefarious is the headline in first the property needed repairs and renovation i do not own the property have never lived there and made that clear to the reporter okay um she goes on to say i've never misappropriated funds and it pains me that so many people have accepted that narrative without the presence of tangible truth or facts i admittedly have not always responded and i know my silence has contributed to doubt she said and she apologized for that so she says that there's a reason why the house wasn't announced the house needed repairs and the house needed things to be done with it done to it and so that's why they haven't really talked about it um uh look we're going to talk to alicia garza right now but i i, yeah. I want to say something right now rach you don't see why they need a six million dollar house and that's just that's that's a you thing swag baby Okay, swag. <laughs> We're not only going to fight the Lathan white man. says swag was the reason they bought swag. the swag. You let me be in charge of Black Lives Matter. <laughs> if they put me in charge of it, none of these would be questions. I would, I would, when the reporters came to the house, I would roll out to the driveway in a golf cart in a Versace road and be like, yeah, we fighting? Shit, nigga, <laughs> we fighting hard. And not only are we fighting, but we're going to do it in style. But I would just be giving away money. If if I had the sixty million, I would just be giving away money to anybody. Just anybody black. Like I, I drive <laughs> down the street, see you on the bus stop. Hey, hey, we about to buy you a car, paid for and financed by dot 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 white guilt. Come in here, and get in this car. But I will tell you this, Rachel. On a serious note, yeah. On a serious note, this is a story that we should all pay very close attention to because it's it's there are so many. There's so many different angles here. Number one is the angle of whether or not we can trust the people that, that that are fighting on behalf of us. Number two is whether or not we are being unwitting pawns in a war against ourselves, which happens to black people all the time. And number three is the central question, which is if this is the wrong way to do it, then what's the right way? Because, see, no one ever talks about that. We all we talk sure. about everybody that's doing it wrong, everyone that's doing it wrong. And at this point. Every single person in this movement has red on their ledger. Every single person has detractors. Sean King has them. DeRay has them. Uh, Black Lives Matter Patrice and the the, the rest of them have them. Um, uh, Tamika and my son have them. 
everybody mm-hmm. is doing it wrong, but we don't really talk about what the right is. You know what I mean? And so to me, at a certain point, I think even if there is something to if there is something to be learned from this situation, is that what do we want from organizations as the people that fund them? And mm-hmm. should Black Lives Matter be opened to a full-throated dialogue with people who might have questions at this okay, point about about uh, about what it is they feel like they we we feel like they should be doing? Because at, at, at the at the end of it, they they they're they're working for us, right? Yeah, at this point, I think it's inevitable. I think it has to, it should happen. It it has to happen. But I do think that you touch on something that's so important. We're having a conversation about an article that really sheds a negative light on an organization that, and a movement that we both really believe in. And so it shouldn't, just because I'm talking about it this way and I'm saying something doesn't seem right and, or other people who are listening to this or other people out there who are having their opinions, it doesn't mean that you stop believing in the very thing that made you want to donate to this cause, believe in this mission statement. There are other organizations out there who are fighting the good fight too. It doesn't mean that you stop just because you uh, one particular organization does something you don't like. It's not going to stop me. It might, it's probably not going to stop me from donating at the moment. I'm not at the point either where I'm like, I'm not going to donate to Black Lives Matter either. So I don't think that you stop believing in what it is that the organization represents, but you pay attention. You pay attention. And there are other organizations, guys. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we got uh, Alicia Garza, who is named in this article, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, someone who's been on Higher Learning before. She's going to respond to some of the things that were said in the article, but she's also going to talk about her specific mm-hmm. mention in this and what that means to her on the other side mm-hmm. of this break. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, now, uh, for us to, to, to shed light on this issue, which is 
or this topic, should I say, which is um important for various reasons to me. This this is a deep one and one that bears some some really introspective conversation. We have somebody that we've had on the podcast before, uh, a friend of the podcast, to answer some of the questions, to talk about some of the 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 allegations made in the article, and just to to talk about the whole tenor in which you know we're discussing this. Alicia Garza, who is the one of the former, I think you could say one of the former heads of of the Black Lives Matter National Network, uh, the host of the Lady Don't Take No podcast, okay, which I've been on before, um, and someone who's actually named in the in New York Magazine article itself. Alicia, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a joy to be here with both of you. Okay, we'll get right into it. All right. Uh, before we get into the specifics about what was brought up specifically in this piece, um, you I'm assuming you've read it by now. I've skimmed it. You've skimmed it. So you've skimmed it. So in skimming it, let me ask you this. Is there anything in the piece that you actually agree with <laughs> that you could see before we get there, that, that you can see the point of view of Sean Campbell, who is the uh, the investigative journalist at NY Mag who, who wrote this? What I can agree with is that um, what we need to be paying attention to right now is making sure that we are being accountable to moving forward an agenda that is advancing Black people. What I think is challenging about this article is that it makes a bunch of wild generalizations and insinuations that don't actually get us there, right? Um, we are in a incredibly tumultuous period in our country, and certainly this movement has not only shaped the nation, but it's shaping the globe. And it's not lost on me that in an election year where it would be great for both Democrats and Republicans to kind of sweep Black Lives Matter under the rug, that suddenly people are concerned about where resources are going and what they're being used for. I think this is a really thinly veiled attempt to delegitimize and discredit this movement. And, you know, Van and Rachel, I'm no stranger to trolls. I'm no stranger to, you know, people who have their opinions about this movement and what it does and what it doesn't do, whether it should exist or not. We all have the right to those opinions. Um, but when we start to throw baseless allegations around, when we start to make accusations in what I thought was a reputable uh, uh, publication without receipts, um, then what we're doing is actual real damage. We are also living in a time where uh, misinformation and disinformation is rampant. Um, and we are coming out of, out from under a presidential administration that really powered that, right? It was the engine of how this country was functioning for a full four years, misinformation and disinformation. And it's really important in this moment, as we are trying to turn the tide and turn the corner from that, that our um, journalistic institutions aren't following uh, that, that pathway. It's really important that 
we're not attacking journalists, right, for their opinions per se, or for doing their job. But at the same time, we do need to hold journalists accountable to actually do their job. In this article with the New York Mag, um, my name was placed in this article with really no cause, no purpose, and no reason. Um, there's nothing wrong with sitting down with my friend of 25 plus years, Patrice Colors, and my other friend, Melina Abdullah, for a video on Patrice's personal YouTube channel to talk about what it means to be a Black woman in leadership. And whether we did that in front of a McDonald's or whether we did that on a campus where lots of things are filmed uh, doesn't actually matter. And I think it's really important that we draw those distinctions. Why would we get from that article that somehow I was involved, right, with the purchase of a campus um, that I've been to once or twice? I didn't even know that BLM had purchased that campus when I filmed that video a year ago. But even if I had, it wouldn't have mattered. Uh, that organization uh, has a right to move forward a strategy that involves uh, building institutions to build Black people's power. Uh, and, you know, for myself, I have a right to sit with my two girlfriends and reflect on what the last decade of movement building has brought us. Um, and, and I think that it's important for us to continue to draw those distinctions. And I, I, I'm not sure why New York Magazine um, thought it fit right, to uh, print and post an article with a lot of accusations and insinuations, but not a lot of receipts. Hmm. Um, I think it's important that, you know, a lot of people read this article. It is a big headline right now. And you say that there are a lot of accusations and things that are in there that aren't necessarily proven. And so I think it's important that we go through some of the things that are asserted in the article and give you a chance to respond to some of them in specificity, especially because um, your name is mentioned in the article. So my first question that I have is there are a lot of um, dates mentioned, and I just want to clarify something. The article mentions that the house was purchased around October 2020. At that point, had you left your position with BLM? And if so, did this purchase or anything like this, is that the reason you decided to leave? <laughs> I've been gone from Black Lives Matter since March of 2017. That means that I have not been involved in any decision-making in that organization, no fundraising, no deciding where resources go and where they don't go. And so I, I can't answer the question for you about the dates when the property was purchased or not purchased because I wasn't involved and I wasn't there. For the last five years, I've been building my own organization, the Black Futures Lab. We work to make Black communities powerful in politics so we can be powerful in the rest of our lives. I got to talk about that work on this very podcast with both of you. And so that's what I've been doing for the last five years, minding my business and building Black political power. I've not been involved in the organization since 2017. Mm. Um, the, the insinuation seems to be, and it's not a, it's not a veiled insinuation, it's a very direct insinuation, that the purchase of the home was in some way at least optically unethical that you have uh, an organization that pulled in $90 million, $90 million uh, it's been reported um, during a specific time. And a lot of that money comes as a re result of what happened to George Floyd and that the house was purchased uh, 
uh, under the guise of this is a home to shelter other uh, uh, people working in the movement. This is a home to create uh, content or pop culture stuff uh, for people in the movement who want to do it, like a studio space. And to have all of that, it seems as if people, the, the insinuation is that the home itself is not for that, that what it's for is actually for people to lay up in and have fun in. The, the article uh, the, the article actually talks about Patrice filming a YouTube video there that was about baking a peach cobbler and talking about the fact that the, it can't, the house itself can't be about making sure people secure and also be, being a public place for people to go and film stuff at. Do you agree with any of the assertions in the article that the actual intent of the home itself seems to be uh, under some question and is a little bit murky? You know, it's hard for me to answer that question because I wasn't involved in the purchase. I wasn't involved mm. in the decision making or the visioning or the strategy behind purchasing that home. But what I can say is this. For generations, Black people have been buying land and buying property as a way to get free. And it's really important for us to um, ask ourselves, right, on what basis um, is the New York MAG making these assumptions? Um, I don't know seemingly any more than they do uh, whether or not the purpose of that home purchase is being fulfilled. But I do think it's important as we lay out um, in this country that people get access to due process. And to be frank, uh, Patrice and the Black Lives Matter Global Network have been ruthlessly being attacked for the better part of a year and some change now, whether it be about her purchasing uh, a home for herself and for her family members, whether it be, I remember a couple of years ago, she was being attacked for witchcraft. I mean, there's all kinds of things, right, um, that get lobbed at these people and at this movement. I know for me in 2020, when I last talked with you, you know, there was a, a story that Rudy Giuliani was tweeting around about me being a global queen pin that had teamed up with communist China in an evil plot to take over the world. And this was something that was being retweeted by Rudy Giuliani and his son. And so, you know, I, I can't say why the house was purchased. I can't say if it was, uh, if it's being used for the purposes that it was laid out for, but I can say this. I think it's really important for us to read between the lines here. Black Lives Matter is not a charity organization. It's not UNICEF, it's not the Red Cross. It never promised to build homes for the homeless or feed the hungry, right? Black Lives Matter is also a political organization, just like the NAACP or the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And it has a political agenda and a political strategy. And that political agenda is to get more people involved in the change that can impact their lives every single day. Again, it never promised to house people, feed people, clothe people. And so this notion, right, that this organization is collecting funds under the guise of one purpose and then spending them on others just hasn't been proven. Now, I think we should have a big conversation if there are uh, uh, things that come out, right, that, that definitely show that there is some discrepancy. But from what I've been following for the last year, I haven't seen that. And what I'm really concerned about is what happens when people who are 
peripheral to those efforts, like myself, um, get brought in. What that means to me is that these efforts to investigate or to critique uh, or to better understand actually aren't coming from a good place. I'm not with the organization. I haven't been for a while. And so the notion that I would be included in this story shows me that the interest is more in clickbait and generating drama than it really is in getting to the bottom of any kind of supposed or alleged conflict. You know, for people who are reading this article or may have read another article, can you understand why both critics and supporters of Black Lives Matter feel that it seems to create this impression that the money donated um, to the cause has been spent in ways to maybe benefit certain people, um, specifically when the this house was said to have been purchased for a specific reason, but in the time since that purchase to now, you haven't seen that type of work being done in the house. And then, or, you know, you just spoke about how um, it's a political organization and it's not meant to do A, B, C, and D, but you have local chapters that have complained about necessarily not seeing some of the benefits from the money that's been reported to have been given um, on a, the national stage, but it's not trickling down to some of the local chapters. Can you see how critics and supporters might feel a certain way? I think everybody has a right to ask themselves, is this the organization for me? Is this the organization that moves my goals and my dreams forward? Absolutely. I think about that whenever I give money to an organization or whenever I donate to an effort. And at the same time, I think it's really important for us to try and piece apart um, what all of this is actually about. Again, I haven't been at Black Lives Matter for five plus years, so I can't speak on what they've done, what they haven't done, how they've done it. But frankly, what I can say is that this feels like a thinly veiled attack. I still am not seeing the receipts that people um, are laying out and uh, in terms of the accusations. And I think for myself and for everybody else who's watching this saga, um, we would prefer to see the receipts. Now, I will also say, Rachel, that absolutely there is um, a need to have a conversation about um, the tensions and challenges that happen inside of movements. This is not unique to the Black Lives Matter movement. It's not unique to the Black Lives Matter global network. And as students of history, we know that there have been debates and tensions between and amongst organizations about their strategies, about how and where they spent their resources and their time. But the thing that is unique about this moment is that this is one of the first times in American history that activists and organizers have had to play out those conflicts on a national stage as if they are entertainers or celebrities. They're not. They're human people who are trying to do and accomplish the impossible. And of course, whenever people, humans, get together to try to accomplish something together, there's gonna be conflict and that's generative and that's important. So I don't think we should shut down that piece of the conversation, but I do think we should have the conversation in a genuine way. We shouldn't be lobbing around accusations that don't have factual basis. We should not be pointing fingers at people who don't actually have anything to do with the things that folks are talking about. I don't know if you know this, Rachel, but about every single day since this article has come out, I've gotten at least 500 messages a day calling me a thief, 
even though I've not been in this organization for five plus years, I have nothing to do with the decision-making in this organization. I've not raised money for this organization, nor do I decide where it goes. These are the kinds of impacts that this kind of um, unintentional conversation can have on real and actual people. Hmm. Um, from the outside looking in, since uh, you have been on the outside, do you think that Black Lives Matter as a national organization has operated with the type of transparency that would nullify or depower articles like this from being written? I hoped that Black Lives Matter um, would be more vocal um, in terms of responding to some of these attacks. And while that was my hope, since I wasn't there, I wasn't able to direct what folks were actually doing. But I can also understand some of that silence. And to be honest with you, this week, I've been silent. I have been getting lobbed at from every single possible direction for something that I wasn't even a part of. So imagine for somebody who used to be at the helm of that organization, what it would take for them to turn around and stand in front of you and say, okay, let me just take everything that you're throwing at me right now. This is what I mean about making sure that we're tapping into what makes people human beings as well. Now, transparency is a big deal and it's important and it's something that we should all adhere to. I don't think that Black Lives Matter should shy away from any of these questions. I also understand given the barrage of attacks that Patrice personally and that organization specifically has experienced, why that might be difficult. I think we should continue to push um, to make sure that we have clarity. But along the way, let's make sure that we're not doing undue damage to each other, to the movement that is so important to this country and to us, um, and to our belief that we actually can move to make Black Lives Matter in this country. Every single day, I am focused on making sure that our communities are powerful in the face of these kinds of attacks, in the face of these kinds of obstacles. And I can tell you both that this is exactly some of the things that get in the way. And if you don't believe me, just ask some of our elders from the last period of civil rights, from people who uh, had divisions stoked amongst them by COINTELPRO and other government programs used to delegitimize de and discredit movements that were moving people um, in ways that they didn't expect. And not just Black people, but white people, right? <laughs> which is something that we also saw in 2020. I think it's important for us to remember um, that we've seen all of this before, that we can have conflict and generative discussions without tearing people down and tearing people apart. And that is exactly what I've experienced this week. And if I'm experiencing that, just imagine somebody else who is doing the same work that I'm doing, getting lobbed similar types of accusations, but doesn't have this kind of access like I do to you. Um, it's incredibly isolating and it's incredibly hard. And I think we need to be mindful of that. Since you left the organization, what's your current or what's your perception of the current state of the organization? Not the movement, but the organization. Mm. You know, Rachel, one of the things that I know from doing this work for a long time is that when you're on the outside looking in, it's really hard to get an accurate perception of what's happening. 
Um, what I do know from having run my own organization for the last five years is that this work is really hard um, and you make mistakes. And, you know, as it comes to the work that I do, uh, we really try to make sure um, that the work we do out in the world has impact um, and that people can depend on us to be able to do that work. My hope for Black Lives Matter, my hope for the organization and the movement is that it continues to grow in power and influence and that it gets more comfortable, right, in talking about some of the challenges that are involved in doing this kind of work. I don't think that people actually get that level of insight. When I was on the podcast last time talking about my book, I was really saying that I was trying to pull back the curtains um, on what this process really means and how it functions and what happens behind the scenes that people don't know, what happens in between protests, what happens before and after protests. Is protest the only thing that makes a movement? No. <laughs> and so my, my opinion, right, would only be uh, uh, influenced by um, being on the outside of it. I'm much more interested in what those folks have to say about um, what is happening right now and what they want us to do about it, what they need from us, um, and also, you know, what they want to clarify. And I look forward to uh, this organization uh, being able to speak on its own behalf, and I hope that it does so soon. In the meantime, it's really, really important um, that we don't continue to circulate misinformation and disinformation, including, right, um, attaching people to things that aren't attached to them, which would be me. <laughs> so let me break this down to its base level is the way I see it. All right. Um, it always it always to me comes back to two things in America as a as it relates to black people, fear and safety. Always. Right. Uh, the abundance of one, the absence of another. Hell of a lot of fear, very little self safety. Right. Whether you're talking about. Um, uh, I, I was obviously Fred Hampton or if you're talking about Denmark VC, you're talking about anyone. We know that destabilizing efforts are always there to black organizations and to black people trying to come together. And we know that sometimes black people are used to be a part of those things. So very, very, in very short, we don't know who to trust. We never know who to trust. And as soon as we start to trust someone, there's another voice that says, hey, don't trust that group of people, right? Don't trust that person. Don't trust who you're supposed to trust, whatever, whatever. Um, and then money gets injected into that and the whole thing fucking blows its top, right? When you talk about $90 million, $60 million, whatever the number is, right? You're going to look at a bunch of people and they're going to start to say, well, when that type of money is involved, there's no possible way you can stay honest. There's no way you can stay honest if you have $90 million in your coffers, if you have $60 million in your coffers. What are the ways, if in fact the perception of Black Lives Matter, the the organization right now, the National Black Lives Matter organization is uh, either being perverted or uh, is being purposely warped so that people have a negative view out of it to be depowered. What are the ways, the steps that you think an organization could take to make sure that that type of perception is, if not impossible, is a lot harder? Basically, is there I, I, I feel like I asked you if they've had the level of transparency. You run an organization. Is there anything they're doing wrong? Because I'm going to be honest with you. This is getting some traction. 
People are looking at this and they can't help but believe that there's something fishy going on when they hear about $6 million mansions that they don't get a chance to live in. When they hear about uh, hiring your relatives and having the people around you doing stuff and their relatives are jobless. And when they also hear about the families of people like Tamir Rice or Richard Rice, you say, hey, uh, these people are raising money on the names of our dead loved ones and we're still fucked up poor either where we are or in Ferguson. Is there a way to go about this? Is there something that, that needs to be done that isn't being done? Because at the end of the day, this battle is about the hearts and minds and wills of the people, not about what goes on in New York Mag and not necessarily about what goes on in those other political institutions. It's about making sure that black people are aligned in their cause. So what gives? Yeah. I mean, I wish that, um, that the global network was much more vocal, um, about what's happening, why it's happening. And like I said earlier, what they want people to do about it. Um, it's one of the reasons I'm here talking with you right now, right? (laughs) Because it's so important to me that people understand. Um, I have no problem telling you a hundred percent, I had nothing to do with that. And that's stuff that I think people need to hear and people need to know. We need information. And certainly when there's silence on one end, um, it can, of course, um, create a bunch of questions. I also want to say, though, that, um, you know, for me, um, I have been, like everybody else, watching and waiting for receipts. And I think that what I've learned in the last 20 years of movement building, as I said earlier, is that conflict is natural and it can be healthy if we enter into it um, with the right spirit. I think that most people want this movement to succeed. Black folks do, right? And I agree with you that um, there is this um, way in which we are waiting to be disappointed because we've been disappointed before. But what if we actually gave people the benefit of the doubt, (laughs) just like what we've been fighting for, right, as a part of this movement? I don't think people who are a part of this should be exempted um, from that level of consideration. Uh, I also think it's important for us to have these dialogues about transparency, about how we beef with each other, and make sure that we understand that what I understand about beef and and transparency and dialogue is that it's necessary for movements to get better, to get sharper, to grow bigger and stronger. And I would hope, right, that as we all are moving forward, that what we're not doing is just um, what we call armchair quarterbacking, right? The only ways that movements succeed, right, is if people participate. Um, And so my hope here, right, is that what we're actually doing is both paying attention to what can I do to help move this movement forward, um, that we're also paying attention to just doing a lot of listening. Um, Again, conflict is not abnormal. um, And I can tell you it's not unique to BLM. It's not unique to this movement. And so that is really the way that I approach it because I understand uh, what some of my elders have experienced with conflict, whether it be beef over ideology, whether it be beef about strategy, whether it be beef about resources, right? The number one thing that people have told me, the people whose knees I sit at, right, say to me, it's really important to listen and to gather your information before you start making accusations. Um, And so that is a piece of advice that I would give 
to everybody who's trying to pay attention to this. Um, and, and I think it's also important um, to keep pushing for the dialogue, right? Unfortunately, I can't give you the answers about BLM, but I do hope that BLM does step up to give those answers um, and to give them in a way that helps to uh, help people have the information that they need to make their own decision. And again, then you decide, am I going to be a part of this or am I not? Um, there's lots of organizations that are a part of this movement. It's not just BLM Global Network. And I, I want to make sure that we're both nuancing, right? What makes a movement um, that we're nuancing, uh, how we understand what movements are supposed to do, what organizations are supposed to do, what's inbounds and what's out of bounds, that we understand that conflict is not unique to this generation or to this specific movement or organization, and that we understand that there's a lot at stake right now. And I always look at every kind of accusation towards people who are public um, with an eye towards, well, what does one get out of making this accusation successful? Like I said earlier, I know that we are approaching an election season where both Democrats and Republicans would like BLM Global Network to go away. Um, and so I also look at these kinds of accusations from that lens. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, right? I'm able to gather a whole range of, of facts and information and then make a decision for myself. Uh, but I can't shake, right, um, what we've experienced over the last year where um, literally, right? All of the things uh, that that Black movement made possible, including a shift in power in the White House, including a shift of power in Congress, um, is now being so voraciously attacked. And I don't think it would be this voraciously attacked if white people were not on board 100% with Black Lives Matter. So I just need to keep repeating that because I think it's multifaceted. It's not as simple as they're shady or they're not shady. Here's, here's my last question to you. I think it is important that you establish that um, you haven't been a part of the organization since 2017. Um, and I think people affiliate you with it just because of you are a co-founder of this organization. And I know that it means a lot to you. It's very near and dear to you. You're passionate about it. Will you reach out to those who run the organization and maybe see if you can help implement some of the things that you talked about on this podcast, help guide them, give them some advice, um, maybe to get things back to the way they were when you established this organization? Hmm. Rachel, I can tell you that I have said that um, I'm available for that kind of counsel. Um, and I have also, you know, encouraged uh, the organization uh, to speak out and to give its side of the story. And we can only hope that that's what it does moving forward. All right. Last question for me. We'll let you get out of here. Sean Campbell is the guy who wrote this piece. It's not the only piece that he's wrote for written for New York Mag. I also read in preparation for this interview another piece uh, from back in January, maybe from uh, last year. I can't remember now where he seemed to well, at that point uh, cast aspersion on the purposes and the goals of Black Lives Matter, the national chapter of Black Lives Matter, the national entity of Black Lives Matter, where the money was going and some of the dissension that's in it. The tenor of that piece seemed to be that the national brand of Black Lives Matter was somewhat less than supportive, uh, sometimes at downright cross purposes 
with the individual grassroots activists that are on the ground. This particular case, uh, he talked about a gentleman from Huntington Beach who launched a counter protest to the white people are great rally that they were trying to have or whatever. Um, Sean Campbell, your thoughts on him. Do you think that this is a, 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 a good natured sort of a, in, investigative skeptic who wants to make sure conversations like this happen and are above board or is he potentially a member of the shady, murky, COINTELPRO adjacent, destabilizing type of, of disinformation uh, campaign that we've seen before? What are your thoughts? It's hard to say. I don't know him personally, and so I, I can't put that label on him. What I can say is that the impact of um, not connecting the dots and being responsible as a writer um, has severely impacted my daily life. Um, and I think that there should be some accountability for that. Uh, again, I think if you're going to be an investigative journalist, if you're going to be uh, involved in exposing what you think is wrong, and you're doing that from a place of really wanting to see transparency and ultimately wanting to see this thing survive and succeed, um, then you're going to be really careful in your steps. And I think this last story in particular was incredibly sloppy and incredibly messy. Um, and like I said, the impacts of that are, are great. Um, what I understand is that every single day this week, I've received hundreds and hundreds of messages calling me a thief, and I haven't stolen anything from anyone since I was 16 years old, it was Lee Press on Nails at Walgreens. My grandmama had just flown into town from Toledo, Ohio. And let me tell you about the ass whooping I got from my parents that particular day. That was the last time I ever stole anything anywhere. Shout out to Grandma May who passed away a couple uh, years ago this month. I also want to say that um you know, in an age where journalists um, in particular have been attacked by the last presidential administration, in the integrity of journalists um, has been attacked, I would think that it would be even more important to show um, um, how we are trying to strengthen and bolster this profession so that it is reporting just the facts. And in this particular case, um, it failed miserably. And so here's the impact. Um, when we don't tell the full truth, when we make accusations that don't have receipts, when we make insinuations, um, here's what happens to me personally. Uh, because this again happened last year when they were trying to expose Patrice for whatever they were exposing Patrice for, I end up receiving a lot of messages, right? Because sometimes people can't tell us apart. Um, I get death threats. I get rape threats. Uh, I get threats telling me to drink bleach and die. Uh, you know, I have to beef up security. Uh, I found out recently that, you know, my name is all over 4chan and 8chan, which is like shady, dark web type stuff. Yeah. And this dark is web, where so. those threats um, come from, from white nationalists who really want to take out BLM and BLM leaders. Um, and so I think it's it's disingenuous that um, that this journalist, right, who previously reported that I had left the organization in 2017, then saw himself calling me a BLM leader um, for the purposes, right, of trying to loosely tie, uh, again, a YouTube video that was filmed 
for Patrice's personal channel um, to some large conspiracy around the organization and how it spends its money. It's unfair, um, it's unprofessional, and it has real serious consequences and impacts. So my hope would be, even though I don't know him, um, that he would be paying attention to that in the future. It's not, um, it's not just clickbait, right? These things have real impacts on people's lives every single day. Mm. A lot. I got one last question. One, it's a tiny one. I'm a tiny one. It's a quick one. Give it to me. You 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 keep you keep saying that receipts. What would receipts be? What would be for you if you're reading this? What would be a smoking gun that to you would signal impropriety uh, inside of the Black Lives Matter um, brain trust? Because he seems to insinuate that it. He doesn't seem to insinuate. He outwardly insinuates that this article was a feared article from the Black Lives Matter uh, uh, leaders and heads because he says that they were trying to get it killed, that they were internal uh, emails. And by the way, there's a snitch somewhere, but there were internal uh, emails and texts somewhere about trying to get the article killed and trying to change the tenor of the article. And it seems as if they might have not wanted it to come out because they felt like there was some impropriety in it. So maybe they felt like it was a little stronger than maybe you feel like it is, is what he insinuated. Uh, so what would receipts be? What would be for you, once again, outside looking in, what would be a smoking gun? Well, look, <laughs> I, I took journalism in high school, right? I wrote for the school paper. And so I know a little bit about what receipts look like. And receipts are facts. It's direct statements, people, places, um, you know, things that are on the actual record, um, you know, and insinuations don't count. And unfortunately, I remember when I was trying to write articles and I wanted to insert my opinion, uh, my journalism teacher, Miss Bell, may God rest her soul, would tell me nobody cares about your opinion. What people read the paper for is the facts. And so the facts would be looking like this. Um, and I can only speak from my own position. If you're going to include me in an article, am I on this signal chat that you're um, that you're referencing? Is there anything in that signal chat that says we're doing this in a shady way? Really, this house is for me and not for the movement. Um, is there anything um, anywhere that you can point to that um, is backing up your claims besides, uh, you know, insinuations and gossip? I mean, if not, right, and it's just your gut, you got to prove that. Um, you know, receipts look like documents. Um, receipts look like recorded conversations. Receipts look like somebody coming to say, I was a part of a conversation and this is what happened and I can show that. Um, those are receipts, right? Um, and I, again, I can't speak on this transaction. I can't speak on the strategy or anything else from the organization, but I'm still kind of curious, like, what were you doing trying to rope me into that, <laughs> right? Like, like you, you didn't provide any receipts as to whether or not I was involved, but you certainly insinuated it and then you didn't back it up and it has real consequences. Alicia Garza, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, on thank Learning. you for being here. Thank you, thank for, you for joining me. us. You're doing okay, right? You, I mean, you can't be doing, you, you're all right, right? You know okay. what? You know what? I'm okay. Thank you for asking. Okay. All right, sister. Um, we are going to jump to a new topic on the other side of this break. Hang in with us, guys. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. 
I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. All right, Rach. Oof. It's a lot of BLM right there. BLM, we talked about it, okay? <laughs> it's time to move on. Okay, we're going to move on. We're going to keep our eyes on that. I'm hoping to get Sean Campbell on, the guy who wrote the piece. I would like to get him on. Talk to him. I think we could make that happen. I think we could make that happen with Sean Campbell. All right, something happened today. Uh, Miss Jackson, Miss Justice, if you're nasty. <laughs> I just came up with that off the top like of my it. head. Well, it wasn't I'm a hard. genius. Wait, what do you mean? <laughs> uh, that, Damn it. You... See what I'm saying? Support, man. It's all about support, Rach. <laughs> Miss Jackson? Miss Justice, if you're nasty, because she's now a okay. Supreme Court Justice. Yes, I know. I get it. In the Jackson reference. I, I get it. You Fine. You're a genius. You're a genius. Know, that not, was incredible. You know what? Think about it. You don't support my songs. <laughs> I gotta, let me ask you a question, Rachel. When did you first watch Two Distant Strangers? When did you first watch it? Are you, first I you definitely it. watched it. I know you watched it, but when did you watch it? I don't remember when I watched it. It was later as, on in the process, wasn't it? You didn't watch it when I sent you the screener, did you? I did not. Just remember, guys. Just, I'm just <laughs> I did saying. Not. Just remember. I just remember, y'all be on my ass. Just remember. I did not. Mm-hmm. But I watched it, okay? I know you watched but it. But I watched it. <laughs> Very supportive. Okay. Uh, Kataji Brown Jackson's confirmed as the first black female Supreme Court justice. 5347. 53 people voted for it. 47 racists did not. Um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reality. Rachel, how do you feel? I feel good. Mm. I feel good. You know, we talked about it before about the, the process that she had to go through. Although she was confirmed in a very fast amount of time, and rightfully so, because she is so qualified for this position. Um, it felt good. I loved the images of her, the still pictures of her crying, smiling, happy. Like it just represents so much and it's so beautiful. And I do think that she will 
like inspire a whole generation for people to say, I can do the same thing. And I just think it was a really beautiful moment. And I love the moment where they clap for her and that Vice President Kamala Harris gets to announce it. She smiles and they give a standing ovation for a while. I loved that because that's what she deserves. And I'm so happy. And I hope she saw that moment. I hope she saw that moment. Um, equally, the moment where they where the other uh, Republicans were walking out, which just is so symbolic of what's of what's happening right now politically. Something I, I want to know. I posted about Justice Jackson. <laughs> what? Justice Jackson? She, until she gets sworn in, it's kind of not. But yeah, Justice is like. <laughs> no, wait, let me tell you why I paused. Because what two, the fuck? I am notorious for messing up names. And when two people got two last names like that, for, for, right. I questioned okay. myself for a second. I almost said Justice Brown. And that's why I stopped. Okay, Justice Jackson. Um, um, there, I posted about her and a lot of people were, you know, there's, uh, we're congratulating and saying how great of a moment it is in the comments. And there are people who of course want to use the talking points that the Republicans threw out to try to say that she was disqualified. What I need those people to understand and what I find it so interesting is some of the same Republicans, Republican senators who voted no for her confirmation to the Supreme court voted yes for her to be on the federal bench. It's the same law, Lindsey Graham, mm. it's the same law that's being applied. It is all federal. And if you can, if she is qualified, cause you have to go through a Senate confirmation on those levels as well. If she is qualified to carry out the law in that way, why is she also not qualified to carry out the law on the highest court? I don't, it's just so, it's oh, so why, wild to me. It's just, why bring up Lindsey, Lindsey Graham, man? Because I just, the, we all know he's such a hypocrite, but it's just, I don't know the other names that, that are on that list, but I just, I know specifically he's not. He it's not is. just that he's a hypocrite though. He's like a fucking weirdo. Like, I, I, like, I don't even <laughs> take him, he's like a weirdo. He looks like he jacks off to squirrels. Like he's like a fucking, he's like, he's just a weird, Lady he's just, Lady like, he's just a, like, he's like a, he's just a weirdo. He looks, he's like a weird guy. Like, I don't, it, it, uh, I have to maintain some sort of, cause we have to move on in, as a country and be able to work with people. Well, God damn it. If these motherfuckers don't make me fucking sick. Oh my God. Um, anyway, I'm happy for Justice Jackson. I'm very pleased. I do not amend anything that I said uh, about this early on. I do believe that this is a huge symbolic gesture and means that we have one more uh, liberal voice on the court. But I do still want black Americans to keep their foot on the gas as it relates to the Biden administration um, and continue to push this administration to deliver on some of the campaign promises that they said they were going to deliver on. Uh, but I'm going to I'm not going to admit I'm not going to lie. This has had me all of my feelings. Um, I am a, a good way. I am, yeah, I am a true, true Negro. I watch <laughs> her, and I'm it's like, beautiful. God damn, nigga, we did it. You know, it's just that feeling. It's probably the same feeling that people get from me when they hear me singing on here. Like, God damn, we excellence. And you, you know? just ruined this. But uh, it is whatever. It's 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 amazing. Okay, uh, Tennessee Republicans might in might inadvertently legalize child marriage. You heard that right. 
Tennessee Republicans might inadvertently legalize child uh, child marriage. There's some Tennessee Republicans that want to make common law marriage legal, but the bill being pushed through this in the, the legislature this week doesn't have any age requirements, and opponents say that paves the way for allowing child marriages. Representative Tom Leatherwood, the Republican from Shelby County who represents Arlington, sponsored House Bill 233, introducing it in the Children and Family Affairs Subcommittee on April 23rd. The legislation is designed to legalize common law marriage in Tennessee as a way to push back against the LBGTQ movement. Current Tennessee law states you can get married as young as 17 if you have parental consent. Critics worry that if House Bill 233 passes, it will pave the way for child marriage and sex child abuse. Have you read very much on this story? Yeah, I read it. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I just, oh, I cannot handle how stupid people are willing to be in the name of just pushing the Republican talking points. I just don't get it. And also, I kept reading this and I was like, why is it so bad to have common law marriage? Why is it so bad to have common law marriage? And then I was like, okay, because the bill says it has to be between one man and one woman. And yeah. that's why it fights, uh, it goes against marriage equality. Sure. Just to put that out there. Because I was like, I'm not understanding what's wrong with common law. Okay, and then I read it more intently. Um, deeply. Um, the fact that you are willing, just because you want to fight to keep marriage the way that you want to see it between a man and a woman. And you want to overlook the fact when they, when, when the, when the man, the Senator who proposed this bill was questioned about the fact that it does not have an age listed in this bill. He said, well, I just figured it would be assumed. When do we start assuming certain things with bills? You guys, this opens the door for, for, for any child to get married at any age. And this is pedophilia. It opens the door for that. The Republicans want to fight that so in such a big way, but you're allowing this bill to move forward all in the name of fighting against people who are in the LGBTQ plus community. But then you're opening the door for pedophiles. It's just the dumbest thing ever. I just, I I cannot get over how stupid these people can be. Hmm. This story is very interesting to me for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, the way the fighting goes, obviously this bill, I'm saying obviously, but I sincerely hope so. This bill is not a pro-child marriage bill. I don't think that they're trying to. No, it's not. So I think that some of the headlines surrounding this, uh, some of the headlines surrounding this are, intentionally framing it as that to <laughs> kick Bring them attention in their nuts, to it. right to kick them in their nuts it's the same thing that happens on the other side when it's like oh obama is like wants to kill your grandparents uh when he was putting out obamacare or or whatever like there's death panels to see whether or not people can die or whatever um however uh looking at this it's important that, that, that it comes out i went to snopes.com Okay. Okay. And I looked yes. At, I your went, website. I went, I went to Snopes.com. I love mm-hmm. the people over at Snopes. I went to Snopes.com and I read through it and I read about uh, the intention of the article as opposed to you know how it was re- received. I do think it's important to highlight some of the holes in this though, because I think those holes, to your point, only really happen in bills that are this big when they are influenced by hate. Mm-hmm. And a, a direct rhetoric or agenda yes. that is at cross purposes with human freedom. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of I think a lot of times, um, like dysfunction is a byproduct of evil. By the way, uh, fuck the Tennessee Republicans. We're gonna stay on there next. Uh, that bill sucks. There's a lot of things that are going on um, uh, uh, down here. These abortion bans are running rampant now. I'm good to see Justice Jackson up there. We need as much help to protect reproductive rights as possible. Oklahoma, the, the legislature, has just passed a near total ban on abortion. And I think it's going to be sort of incumbent upon the states that are not in line, aligned with this type of uh, of of um of oppression to really dig into how they can punish like I, I <laughs> this is civil war talk i don't think that talk is going to work with some of these states that are trying to take away re- reproductive rights i think they're going to have to be economically punished i think it's going to take us re- um by encouraging places the same way it was kind of done in south africa uh, it's a little bit more mm-hmm, dicey right mm-hmm, here, mm-hmm. but there was a big call to divest, to divest from South Africa, in order to put the stranglehold on the economy there, because they were an apartheid state. Right? It's a lot dicier to do here because not a lot of these places need us as much as whatever. But I think we're gonna have to really put pressure on corporations, places like Disney. Places like yeah. fucking Amazon, places like that, to to really stay out of business with these spots because they are not stopping. Like there's a full fledged war on women's bodies happening, and all it keeps over the getting and it keeps getting worse and worse. For those of you who aren't familiar with this bill, it's not a proposed bill. The bill has been written and it has now gone to the governor, who said that he will sign off on bills that limit abortion. This bill will still require you if you are raped or a victim of incest to keep the baby. So you have once again, men telling you that, you know what? It's not that baby's fault that that happened. It's a terrible thing, but it's not the child's fault. Not considering the woman at all. That's what's happening right now. The only exception in this current bill is if there's a medical issue. That's it. So you have what happened in Texas, which we've talked to at great length. So you have people in Texas who are probably flocking to Oklahoma for where their reproductive rights weren't challenged in that way. Now they can't even cross the border and go to Oklahoma because this bill is about to pass. It is so important that we continue to keep talking about this and not to just let this die. It is happening. Anytime a bill, don't say gay bill, sorry to go off on a tangent, but it, it was passed in Florida. Ohio's got their own. It's happening. One state gets it done. The other states start doing it. And It's just going to go to the Supreme Court, which is why it goes back to what you were saying about Justice Jackson now being on. We need people like her on this court that can protect women and their rights. I just can't. I cannot believe when I saw this Oklahoma bill, I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. It's terrible. It's terrible. Um, So it's time for us to get a little interracial in a really weird story. Okay. According to CBS Miami, the Miami Police Department claims that a man was stabbed to get death after a domestic incident with his girlfriend. Now, this headline says, I have a problem with this headline. I do. The headline says, Miami man stabbed to death after domestic incident with OnlyFans model girlfriend. 
I don't know what her OnlyFans has to do with the fact that she snapped. I think when stuff like that happens, that is an attempt to demonize sex workers and to say that she is some sort of she is some kind of way morally corrupt because she was an OnlyFans model. Okay? Model, whatever. Okay? You the fact that she's an OnlyFans model, what the hell does that have to do with anything? All right, but I'm not on her side because it looks fucking. Bad. I I I I guess I had a different interpretation because I think they were trying to say because I saw OnlyFans and either Instagram or OnlyFans and influencer because mm-hmm. I think they were trying to establish that she is popular in some in 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 certain sectors. Yeah, I didn't know who she was. That's I went to her OnlyGram, <laughs> her OnlyGram, her OnlyFans. You still have an account? Oh, OnlyGram? No, I don't. Um, uh, don't bring up hey. No, I did. I that's a trouble. That's a real question. Yeah, hey, no, nigga, been only fit. Hell no. Um, (laughs) uh, so this is the deal woman stabs a man in one paradiso, uh, one parizo apartments in Edgewood, uh, the neighborhood. It's Edgewater. I lived right there, Edgewater, Edgewater, Miami. So, oh, this was you lived this where there where you lived down there. That's on 30th. Street. I lived on 18th, it's right there on okay. the bay. It's a very nice building. All right. Um, the man has been identified as Christian Toby Obanselli. He's black. His girlfriend is a white model. Friends say that uh, he moved recently moved to Miami and was living with his girlfriend at the building where he was stabbed. The girlfriend's name hasn't been publicly released yet, but people are really really upset about this uh because it it looks as if he he was stabbed multiple times he is now dead and the police let her off all right courtney taylor is her name um she's been in music videos uh for g easy bb rexa now there's another part of this. A friend named Ashley Vaughn told the local local news channel that there has been d- domestic violence in the relationship from Courtney. Ashley Vaughn says, we've seen her hit him. I've never seen him hit her. But yet another neighbor has said uh, uh, that they got into a heat, heated argument not too long ago and that led to Taylor being physically abused. So the optics of this case are black man stabbed multiple times by a white woman, white woman not even arrested. And now it's up in the air. Who was the antagonist in the situation that led to this guy's death? There's yet another piece of this, Rachel. Okay. There seem to be some old tweets from him. Have you seen these tweets? Yeah, I didn't see the tweets. I saw the headline. So the old tweets from him seemingly are him shitting on black women. Okay. So this is what I want to come to in this situation. I want to ask you something. The fact that he, that this woman wasn't arrested or held as of yet, something we'll see what happens with that. Let's say she did stab him up. Let's say she did do it and like she she did she did not in any way have a self-defense beef in order to do that. Would your opinion of him being stabbed by a white lady change 
because he had prior tweets dissing black women and saying that he only wanted a white woman. I see that a lot of people, when I when I put this up and I said this is nuts, I immediately got hit back with a bunch of people saying basically that because of his past tweets and statements on black women that he got what his that what he deserved. What do you think? Okay. Well, first off, she is being held under the Baker Act for mental health in Florida. She's not detained. She has not been arrested. Nothing like that, which is what people are upset about. But mm. she, when when police came on the scene, she threatened to kill herself, and they immediately detained her under the Baker Act. So she's hospitalized right now. So I get. I don't think you get to do that. I understand that you cannot like the fact that this man. I am a black woman is talking in a disparaging way against black women and clearly has some sort of self-hate for himself and towards the women who are, are black women as well. He's got, there's some type of hatred there clearly. And he feels some sort, and he felt some sort of way by having a white woman on his arm. However, this man is dead y'all. This man died. And, and everything is pointing to the fact that he was killed by this woman. For whatever reason, he was killed by her. I'm not going to allow his past to say he deserved to be murdered. That's ridiculous to me. Does it make you? Does it make you care less? Does it no, make you care less man, that he was murdered because he dissed black women in the past? No, the man was murdered. This is life. This is a life here. Like I don't have to like the man to not care about the fact that he was just murdered. Period. Like an injustice if in was fact, done that's here. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And if in fact, yes, allegedly murdered. If in fact that's what it was done, I'm not going to sit here and say he was murdered, but I'm not going to do that. I just can't do that. I don't have to like somebody to not say that this was a concern and this wasn't mm-hmm. right. Right? I don't like the fact that he was talking about women that look like me, but a man died here. Yeah. And if I'm going to butt it, because that's the it, people do that with us, right? People do that with black people. He did this, but, but, so we start bringing up other things about that person rather than realizing exactly what happened. I just don't, yeah, I just don't agree though. with that. That is kind of, that, that is kind of different. But I just don't think you should, the man died. Yeah, I get it. I get it. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that story. But uh, a lot of people upset. A lot of people upset out there. Okay, uh, Donnie, you know what? It's been a heavy show. Let's get to mailbag yeah. and let's hope that your computer. Is able to, to to keep up with me and Rachel's intense, Seriously. sharp minds. Come on, bro. Mailbag time. Time to read your letters and then we'll reply to them. Oh, it's mailbag time. Write us with your queries and we'll chime in. Yeah, this is uh, redemption time. I got it. All right. Bubble underscore T35 on reddit wants to know what was the worst movie slash tv show that you've seen it's hard i have to watch a lot of tv shows that i don't really care about for work for interviews so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be specific about that let me tell you why this one's the worst it's a movie called all the king's men and it is about uh it is about huey long but it was written and directed by Steve Zalian. Uh, and it took place in um, in Louisiana. Hold on. 
Is what's the name of the movie? All the King's Men. All the King's Men. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, you figure that out. I gotta go to the bathroom. All the King's Men. Sean Penn, James Gandolfini, all of those people. Right movie. They shot it in Louisiana. It was a big deal. Loosely based on the life of Huey Long. And the movie had such talent. Let me let me tell you who was in this movie, All the King's Men, 2006. This is the movie. This It's written by Steve Zalian, directed by Steve Zalian. This is the cast of All the King's Men. Sean Penn, Jude Law, Kate Winslet, James Gandolfini, Mark Ruffalo, Patricia Clarkson, and Anthony Hopkins. That's the cast of this movie. That's the cast of the movie. And guess what? It fucking sucks. So it's not like it's the worst movie that I've ever seen. But the fact that they came down there, we had such high hopes. We thought it was going to be award show this, award show that. And the movie was trash. To me, makes it one of the worst film going experiences I've ever had. All right. Next question, Donnie. All right. Next question is from Quaker Lightning on Reddit. They ask, what breed of dog would you be if you could be a breed of dog? Whatever copper is. I, I want to be copper. That's half Pomeranian, a fourth German Shepherd, an eighth Chow, and an eighth American Eskimo. I'll be he's perfect. I, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great dog. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I couldn't really be Bozeman because Bozeman's just too friendly. Bozeman's just like, hey, friend. Hey, you know, so I'd probably be, I'd probably be like a lovable fat bastard dog, like a lovable fucking, give me like a portly dog, like one of those French bulldogs, you know, like I'd probably be like one of those The guys, ones that you know? sink if you throw them in the pool? Do they sink? Nah, see, I can't be that. I'm a great See, swimmer. they can't swim. They, they're yeah. actually not, I heard someone tell me they're not supposed to exist. Yeah, so that's not me. God wants me around. Um, I don't know. That's a great question. Maybe a question. bulldog? You want to be a bulldog? Bulldog would be cool. Bulldog would be cool. Husky. I'd be a husky. Ooh, that's a good one. That's I'd a be a one. husky. Except I don't like the cold. But I'd be a husky. I'm a husky. You know, I'm, 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 I can be a little aggressive, but I can be your best friend. You know what I mean? I'm handsome. All of that stuff. Uh, all right, let's go. All right, Jose Suave. Two four five on Instagram asks, "Would you rather have hiccups for the rest of your life or Cheeto fingers forever?" Next question. We ain't fucking around with you, right. Suave. Laney Bug. I love you, Jose. No. Was it cheat? Did you say Cheeto, Cheeto fingers? fingers? It's not. It's like the answer is hiccups. It's like, come on, Jose. Two four five. Okay. Uh, I'm not. No, I'm not going to be. It's not I, hiccups. I hate hiccups. I, hate I do too. I'm They're painful. I yeah, yeah. I just all right. Yeah, Jose Suave. That's actually not that bad of a question. Like it, this. It isn't. Laney yeah. underscore bug forty two on Instagram. They ask, "What are some other names you thought of to name your dogs?" Simba. <sighs> Simba. Uh, let me think. It's, and Hennessy. I can't think of. It was Simba, <laughs> Hennessy, or Copper. <laughs> I can't really think of any other names that I had. I don't, I don't think I don't know. Like I, I, Bozeman, it popped in my mind, and it was it, I, that's I can't think of any other name. Remember, we got Bozeman like what four months after Chadwick died. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I can't think of any other names. Can't think of any other names. All right, last one. All right, last one is from Claire Zussman on IG. Uh, what would you be most likely to go to jail for? 
Hmm. It's a good question. Well, great question. Wait, Public wait, indecency. Wait. Is this okay, Van? Public indecency. Yeah. Do you want to take that back? No. Like a flasher. You want to run like, around opening your trench coat to people? I wouldn't do it on purpose. But what I'm saying is if I was going to be arrested to something, here's the thing. I hate clothes. I hate them. Like I hate clothes. Hate wearing clothes. The, I, the first thing I do when I get into the house is take all of my clothes off. All of them. Sit down there. Dick in your face. Don't. Dick in your face. So, so okay. like I, like I, actually a little bit of a bop. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, like I. So sometimes I want to walk outside and do something, and there'll be times in my mind where I legislate, yo, man, there's nobody outside right now. You like, you don't have to put your shorts on. Just put the robe on and go out there, right? Like you don't like. There's nobody. Like one o'clock in the morning. I gotta go grab something out of the car, or I gotta go out and get food that the, they've left outside at the front. Post, and I'm thinking, there's nobody out there. Just why would I have to put on clothes to go out there? And so I could see a situation where I walk out there and the shillelagh is swinging, and someone goes, "Ow!" That's sign they would make. "Ow!" But oh, and then they would call. The- <laughs> but then why would they call the cops if that? If they're gonna was, oh, why would they, they call they, the cops? They're gonna call the cops. They, they, they're gonna they, they're gonna they're gonna go they're gonna call so I could see that if I was gonna because I'm not I don't be breaking laws like that I'm a law abiding I don't nigga. either that's why I'm yeah. trying to figure out what mine would be I I think you should answer from the point of if you were to intentionally commit a crime if I was to like, intentionally knew, commit a crime and you knew you could get away with it well I would do embezzlement or something like that right like if I knew I could get away with it Oh, uh, you know what? It would probably be embezzlement. Let me tell you why. Because like I remember this movie named Office Space where they were in the thing and they were taking one cent away from the company, one cent away from the company until they had like a million dollars. And I was thinking, I would do that shit. One cent, nigga. You can't give me a cent over all of these transactions, you know? But I was thinking I would do that. But I, I don't, you know, I don't really be stealing like that. I'm not like, I don't either. I'm not like you and Alicia Garza. I don't be just okay. stealing. I've never. I, I'm not like. As Alicia said, don't put my name in that. She she was she had them Lee Press on nails popping. You never stole so anything, funny. Rachel. I don't want to comment. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Yes, Klepto and that's all Lindsay? I'm gonna say. That's Klepto all I'm gonna say. Lindsay? I was Whoa. peer pressured, and I failed. I failed, and I did it. Rach, you gotta give us this story on the next podcast. No, it's not an exciting story. It's just that I did it. Would you like to guess from what store? Ooh. Um, what kind of store is it? Well, <laughs> one was a craft store. And two, the other one was a clothing store. You stole twice? Yes. Oh my <laughs> God. Well, no, the rider over here. Like you still like you still like you. I was young. I was young. Whoa, I was young. you know. See, nigga, you always leave the shit out. Limitations. Don't you tell me I say the story. Always leave the shit out. You didn't just steal. You went on a fucking spree. I didn't go on a spree. They were two Rachel. different times. <laughs> Cut. So, so you're like, whoa. Cut. I'll tell you right I've now. I said man. too much. I've said too much. I will not incriminate myself. I will not. I just. 
That's all the you right, get. Somewhere right now, the judge. From somewhere right now, the judge is writing like a decision or something, and he just <laughs> dropped his pen and got pissed off. He can feel it. He can when feel it. When you're young, you do stupid things. It is true. It is true. It is true. Uh, but yeah, bounce, bounce, bounce. Dick in your face. Don't. Okay. I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go work a red carpet. All right, you in the show. In the show. I'm gonna sing the song. I can't have that in my head when I'm on a red carpet. They're gonna be like, "Oh, is that a new bop?" Dick in your face. Dick in your face. Don't. Dick in your face. Dick in your face. Dick in your face. Take it. Take a thing, caps off. <laughs> but do not stop learning. I am Van Lathan Jr. I'm Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Bye, we guys. Out. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race. A young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.